Hey, well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're, we're so grateful that you are with us. Whether you're joining us here in person or you're watching online, we're grateful to have you. And uh, I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening. One, uh, today is Halloween. Uh, some of you are dressed up. I've seen some of your kids dressed up. And uh, one of the things that we want to do as a church is we want to step into moments like today uh, and be able to be good neighbors, to be intentional neighbors with people around us. So what we've done is we've created these, um, these little bags. Now, this is kind of like reverse trick-or-treating. Uh, and in these bags, there's some candy, there's coupons to local businesses. There's also an invite to the series that we're in right now. And what you do is you grab 5, 20, 50, whatever, however many houses you're going to take your kids to or you're going to go yourself because you know this is really for you and your own candy fetish. Uh, but you're going to take these bags and when you go up to somebody's door, you're going to actually do reverse trick-or-treating. So you take as much candy as they're willing to give you, but also give them a bag as well. This is the only time of the year people will actually receive something from you when you're standing at their door. So take this uh, as you trick-or-treat. Uh, be a good neighbor and uh, show our community some love and uh, some of the things that are going on at our church. Uh, second thing I want to mention, and Addison just mentioned it, we're right now in the middle of a campaign we've called Love in Action. It's for six weeks. You have these uh, little booklets underneath. There's one underneath every row, uh, or there's a QR code. Uh, that you can scan to go to the page and download uh, the booklet and find out more information and all of that. But this is a six-week campaign where we're trying to raise $120,000. That's a lot of money, uh, at least to me. I know some of you, you can write significant check today uh, to, to, to make a dent in this thing. Others of us go, man, I can't do that, but what can you do? Uh, we talked about last week, it's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And uh, every dime that comes in, we're giving it away. I want to highlight one partner that we're going to give to. It's A21. A21 is an organization that's fighting slavery and sex trafficking in the world today. Did you know that there are over 40 million slaves today? In our world today, over 40 million people who are stuck in slavery. That blows my mind because we think of slavery like it happened a long time ago, and yet slavery is happening today. And actually, out of those 40 million, one out of every four are kids. One out of every four. And most of them are stuck in sex trafficking. And so our money, the money that we raise, will go to this organization called A21, where they're one of the largest organizations in the world fighting sex trafficking. You can read more about them uh, in the booklet. You can find out more information at their website and all of that. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, as you give, as you uh, become a part of what we're doing here, man, that money goes out to be able to help people who are desperately in need, and in this case, in need of real, legitimate freedom. Hey, today we're going to start a new series, but before we jump in, I thought, man, let's just start off in prayer. Uh, let's ask God to meet us in this place because he knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're walking through. He knows the relationships that you have right now and the struggles you're dealing with in life and the joys that you're celebrating as well. And so let's ask him to meet us in this place. Father, we come before you, and I thank you for this time. God, I pray that today would not just be a, a day we come and hear a little bit and, and we're moved a little bit, but God, that we would be transformed, that you would speak to us through your word, and that God, as we uh, wrestle with uh, relationships and how to love people who are challenging to love, uh, that God, you would uh, move us closer to you and help us fall more in love with you and more in love with the people you've created. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Well, today we're starting a new series called Relational Vampires, and there's no better time to start a series on vampires uh, than on Halloween. And what do vampires do? They suck your blood. They suck the life out of you. Well, what do relational vampires do? There are people in your life that suck the life out of you. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you say that you have somebody in your life who is difficult to love? Anybody? Yeah, you don't have to point at them. Don't point at them. Just you have somebody, yeah, all of us have somebody in our life who is difficult to love. Now, I'm going to give you kind of where we're going with this series uh, for two reasons. Well, next week we're going to look at needy people. So those who are always needing something from somebody else. Then week three we're going to look at hypocritical people. And then week four we're going to look at critical people. I'm telling you that for two reasons. Number one, so that you'll come. Because I guarantee you, you have all these people in your life somewhere. And I'll guarantee you, all of us have the tendency to become these people as well. Not only that, over the next few weeks, you're going to be in a conversation with somebody. They're going to be telling you about some of the difficulties they have in their life and in a relationship of theirs. And God's going to remind you of this series. And you're going to be challenged in that moment to invite them to church. So we have invite cards. We have social media stuff. You can invite them in a lot of ways. But as you are talking with somebody this week or, or over the next few weeks and this conversation comes up, man, invite them to this series. Because I believe that God's going to use it to transform us. Today we're going to talk about controlling people, controlling people. How many of you know somebody who's a control freak? Anybody know somebody who's a control freak? Any of you tried to raise your hand and somebody put your hand down? That would be, that would be a control freak. Now, here's the reality about control freaks. Most of the time, they're not malicious. They're not like evil people. Now, sometimes they are, but most of the time, they're not, they're not evil people. They're not malicious. They're just, uh, many times they're needy, they're hurting, they're, they're, they're struggling in some way. And, and so they try to control their, the, the people in their lives. They try to control the situations and the circumstances in their lives to try to mitigate more pain from happening. So they're usually they're not, they're not malicious, they're just trying to mitigate some of the pain that they've experienced in their own lives, and they control many times uh, through manipulation. They maybe pout, or they walk away, or they cry, or they get angry. Some of you, I can already hear you identifying people. Or they argue, or they lie, or they're overly demanding, they won't accept no. Some of you right now, you're identifying someone in your life. You could identify someone right now who you would say, man, this person is controlling. And the question is, how do we love those people? How do we love people who try to control our lives, who try to control the circumstances in their life and in our life? Well, first, you've got to start off by recognizing when someone's being controlling. There's really three weapons of controlling people Three things that they use to try to control others. Number one, they use threats. They say something like, you better do this or you'll get punished. Or you better do this or you're going to regret it. They might use threats. They might use guilt. That's another, uh, another one of their weapons. They, they, they might use it explicitly or they might imply it in some way. They'll say something like, after all I've done for you. Or I thought we were friends. Or I... You call yourself a Christian? Or have you ever had a family member call you and say, oh, I just wanted to call you because I knew you wouldn't call me. I mean, what if something were happening to me and I was dying all by myself? You would never know because you never call. Is that just me? <laughs> Is that just a conversation I've had with family members? Or maybe you have as well. Three major weapons, threats, guilt, or the last one is promises. 
They might make promises. If you do this, then I'll do this. If you'll say this, if you'll act this way, then I'll give you these things in your life. Those are some of the weapons that, that controlling people use to try to control others or situations in their lives. And many times, again, they're not malicious. Many times they're not evil people. And case in point is this guy named Peter. Peter is found in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16 with me. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, you can get a Bible from us at our Connections Center if you want one. Uh, or you can download the Bible app as well. It's a great resource. But we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to look at this guy named Peter who was definitely a control freak. Now let me give you some, some, some context of who Peter was. Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, so he followed Jesus around. Uh, and then afterwards, he was one of the main leaders in the church. Peter was one of the most outspoken advocates for Jesus. I mean, he loved Jesus. He was also one of the loudest in his rejection of Jesus. And he was one of the leaders uh, 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 during that time when Jesus was leading all these guys. He was one of the ones that Jesus looked to. In fact, most people would say he was the leader outside of Jesus to the other disciples. He was one of the main leaders of the early church. He led a lot of things. He did a lot of good things, and he was also a control freak. So in Matthew chapter 16, we see this conversation that Jesus and Peter have. Verse 21, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So we say, hey, guys, I just need you to understand. And he's having this conversation multiple times. But at some point, you know, Peter just kind of gets fed up. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to do all kinds of bad things to me. They're going to beat me. Ultimately, they're going to kill me. And we see how Peter responds. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now imagine that. Imagine you being Peter and you're taking the Son of God aside to rebuke him. And he takes him aside, many times controlling people, they want to get you alone. They want to isolate you because they can manipulate you better if they can get you by yourself, away from other people. So Peter does that. He pulls Jesus aside and it says he actually rebuked him. He says, never. Why? Because he's shocked at what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, oh, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be beat up. I'm going to get killed. And Peter's like, wait a second. This is not the Messiah we were expecting. You see, actually the term Christ means a coming king. So we say Jesus Christ, but that term Christ meant that it was a coming king, that Jesus was the coming king. Now we understand it, looking back years later, we understand as Jesus is coming as a king to set us free, to set us free from, from our own sin, to set us free from the, the trap of the enemy, to set us free from guilt and shame and condemnation and the, the, the eternity in hell and all of that. He's come to set us free. But back then, what Peter understood Jesus to be was he was going to be a political freedom fighter. And he was coming to help set them free from Roman rule. He wasn't coming to set them free from their sins and all that. He was coming to set them free from the Romans he was supposed to be setting up a new kingdom here on earth. And so when Jesus is saying, I'm going to be killed, Peter's like, that's not in the plans. That's not what God is, it has for us in this time. That's not what we were expecting. That's not what we want. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
You do not have in mind the current concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus shows us in this passage, how do you love controlling people? Jesus didn't write him off. Jesus didn't say, well, clearly you don't have the right heart, or you're a terrible person, or anything like that. Jesus loved him. How did he love him? Well, there are kind of two things to do when uh, somebody's trying to control you and you want to choose to, to love them. Number one, you've got to know who you're called to be. You've got to know who you're called to be. Jesus knew who he was. He knew he was the son of man. He knew he was the son of God to come and, and to save us from our sins. He knew that was the plan. He knew why he came. He understood his calling. And if, G, if Peter in that moment decided not to, to understand it or he couldn't quite understand it or he wasn't willing to accept it or whatever the reasons were, it didn't mean that that was going to lessen Jesus' call or that was going to remove Jesus' call. Or that was going to prevent Jesus from doing what he was called to do. Jesus knew who he's called to be. Do you know who you're called to be? Do you know who God's called you to be? You see, many times when people think about calling, they think about purpose. This is one of the greatest questions that people ask in their lives. What's my calling? What's my purpose? Why am I here? I'm about to answer it for you because it's really simple. It's really, really simple. First starts with a relationship with God. You're first called to receive forgiveness, grace, to come into this relationship with God that is only by means of Jesus Christ. It's not by means of doing a lot of good things. It's not, you, you don't get into a relationship with God by being a good person or by saying the right things or coming to church or anything like that. You only come into a relationship with God by accepting what Jesus has done on the cross for us. Accepting the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That he offers you and I grace and forgiveness today and every day. That's first what we're called to do. And when you do that, you become a part of God's family. You're now a son or daughter of the Most High God. You're now part of his family. The old way of life, the old habits, the old sins, those are no more. This is what baptism represents. We're actually doing baptisms today. It's cold. And I was telling a buddy who's getting baptized, I said, man, we're all going to remember this day. That's for sure. So it, it, but that's baptism. Baptism represents when you go down into the water, you're, the old life is no more. That's what you're saying. My old habits, my old sins, no more. And then you come up and you've got a new name, you've got a new title, you've got a new call. What are you called to do? You're called to love God with everything. You're called to love others as yourself. And you're called to share your faith. You, know, you want to know what your calling is? Many times when people think of calling, they think, man, it's this big thing. Like God's going to call me to move to Africa and be a missionary or something like that. But God says it's really simple. You're called to do three things. Number one, love him with everything you have. Number two, love others as yourself. And number three, share your faith. None of that has anything to do with what you do. What you do is important. Hear me on that. What you do is important, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're a business person or you're a barista. Whatever you do is important. But your calling is based on do you love God, do you love others, and will you share your faith? That's the bottom line of the calling of God in your life, of what God has created you for, of your purpose. And so do you do those three things by being a barista or being in school as a student 
or by what name, what being a business owner. Are you loving God with everything? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? And are you sharing your faith? That's what you're ultimately called to do. But here's the challenge. The challenge is when we put people pleasing over our calling, we lose sight of who God's made us to be. By show of hands, how many of you would admit that there's a, a small portion in you that, that wants to please other people? Small portion. How many of you are raising your hand right now because you want to please me? And just having your hand up. <laughs> right? I think that's all of us. I think all of us have just a small, maybe some of us is a lot inside of us that we just want to please other people. But the problem is when you want to please other people, you lose sight of your calling. Why? Because other people have a plan for your life. You ever notice that? You ever notice that pretty much everybody else in your life has a plan for your life? Like almost everybody has a, people have a plan for my life. People have a plan for what I post on social media, how I engage or, or choose not to engage with, with cultural things. People have a plan for how I should lead the church. They never led a church before, but man, they can tell me how to lead a church. They have a plan for my life. They have a plan for your life as well. And if you don't know who you're called to be, you will become sidetracked with trying to please everybody else, with trying to please your kids, trying to please your spouse, trying to please your friends, trying to please your teachers, trying to please your boss. You'll be so focused on pleasing everyone else, you'll lose sight of your calling, which is to love God, love others, and share your faith. And so how did Jesus love controlling people? How did he love Peter well in the midst of this? He had clarity on his calling. He knew who he was called to be. The second thing that we want to love controlling people, we got to know who we're called to be. We also have to establish healthy boundaries. Establish healthy boundaries. It's not just enough to say, know who you're called to be. Because as people try to control you in your life, you have to know how to establish healthy boundaries in your life. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus said, he turned to Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You, don't not, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. What's he doing? He's establishing boundaries. He's not saying, oh, Peter, you're probably right. Like, you know what? That's a really good thought there. I'll take that into consideration. He's like, no. That's not who I'm called to be. You don't have a right to say that to me. What's he doing? He's establishing boundaries. Uh, about 10 years ago, I read a book that, that changed my life. And I, I can't say that about a whole lot of books. I can say that about the Bible and then probably about four or five other books that just radically transformed me. And one of those books was a book called Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud. If you, hadn't read, uh, if you haven't read that book, uh, you need to. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal book, and it'll help you understand how to establish healthy boundaries in your life. But kind of what he talks about is he paints this picture of, of all of us, our, our lives are like a house. And when you, when you choose not to have a gate out in front of your house or, or, or a fence, and, or maybe you have a fence, but that gate's left open, and then you walk up to the house, and, and the door to your house is left open or unlocked, and then people come in, and they take advantage of you, and they steal your stuff, and they ransack your house, and then you're upset. You're like, how dare these people take advantage of me? And yet all along, your house was just left wide open. It was just an invitation to people to say, just come on in. Do whatever you want to my life. He says you have to figure out how to establish healthy boundaries to protect yourself, to have healthy relationships, 
For some of us, we have, when we look at, at our lives and we, we picture our lives like a house, maybe for some of us, maybe we have a front door and that front door, maybe it has a lock, maybe we're using it, maybe we're not. We look out into the yard and for many of us, we don't have a fence at all. And so people are just able to come onto our grass and come up to our front door, whether it's locked or not, and do whatever they want to our house. Others of us, we have a fence that's more like there's a little doggy fence, you know, and, and, and it's real small and, and it looks cute. It's like we're able to say, man, I've got some boundaries. These are things that I won't do. And somebody's like, really? That was really hard. That was, man, those boundaries were really tight. Those were strong. Like, I couldn't do anything to you because that boundary was so good. And it's just a little doggy fence. It just is there to look pretty. But it actually doesn't do anything. And we think, man, I have these boundaries. Why are people taking advantage of me? Because those boundaries aren't in existence. They just look pretty for everybody else or for yourself. They, they might make you think that you're okay, but it's real easy to climb over. Or we, maybe we have a, a little bit higher fence, a little, a little picket fence that is a little bit higher. And we're like, man, this is good. This will keep some of the bad things away and, and keep me protected. But it's real easy to <laughs> knock that one over too or climb over that one. Are you getting the picture here with some of our relationships? Some of the things that we've allowed to happen to us. And the problem is when people have come into our house and they've destroyed things, we become very bitter at God. We become very bitter at other people. For some of us, maybe we look at ourselves. But it all started with boundaries. So how do you create a fence that is more like Wilson looking over at you? It's like, man, it's, this one's going to be hard to get through. This one's going to be hard for somebody to, to break in, to climb over. How do you create healthy boundaries in your life that not only there's a, a good fence around your yard, but there's a, a nice gate with a lock there, and, and your house has a nice door with a, a lock on there? And here's the deal. When you have healthy boundaries, you can give the key to those things to anybody you want. So it's not like you're, you're locking everybody. Like I, I'm just, I've been hurt so many times. No one is allowed in my life. I have some of those people in my life. They say, I'm not allowing anybody else in because I've been hurt so many times. That's not how God created you to live either. That's so unhealthy. So how do you create this, this, this boundary in our lives, this, this fence in our lives, but, but there's a gate with a lock and you're able to go, hey, I've got a key to that. I want you to come in. Or hey, let me go unlock that for you. You can come in. I don't want you to have the key just yet. You're not allowed to come and go as you please. But I'm going to establish some boundaries. You see, this plays out in every relationship in our lives. When you have healthy boundaries, you can have healthy relationships. You'll have healthy relationships mentally. You'll have healthy relationships physically. You'll have healthy relationships spiritually, healthy relationships emotionally. This doesn't just play out for, for strangers or for friends or for neighbors. This plays out for your own spouse. This plays out in, in, in with your own kids, with your parents. Because we have people in our lives that are really close to us that the world would say they should have free access to your home. And we go, nope, they're too controlling. They don't even get a key. I'll go unlock the door when I want them to come in. I'll greet them at the fence and escort them into my house. But they don't have the key. 
because they don't have a right to do that to my life. Henry Cloud says it this way. I love this quote. He says, boundaries are a litmus test for the quality of our relationships. Those people in our lives who can respect our boundaries, listen to this, those people in our lives who can respect our boundaries will love our wills, our opinions, our separateness. Those who can't respect our boundaries are telling us that they don't love our no's. Not our no's, our no's. They only love our yeses, our compliance. I only like it when you do what I want. See, when we establish healthy boundaries, when we're able to tell somebody no and they respect that, and they still love us, then it allows us to have healthy relationships with controlling people. It also helps prevent us from becoming a controlling person. Look at the very next verse, verse 24. I love what Jesus does here. He talks to Peter to the side, but you know the disciples, they see what's going on. They're like, why is Peter talking to him? Why is Jesus looking like that? Watch your face, Jesus. It's telling us everything. Verse 24, then Jesus said to the disciples, so he turns from Peter and he says to everybody, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Be careful. Because as much as we don't want controlling people in our life, we can become the controlling people in other people's lives. And Jesus is here saying, let me teach you how not to be controlling. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. I have to deny myself, my will, my plans, for the other people in my life, including my wife, including my kids. Those are the two hardest for me. It's so much easier to control the people closest to us, at least for me. I don't know about for you. It's so much easier for me to, to let my controlling spirit come out with my wife and my kids than anybody else. Jesus says, deny yourself. I think all of us have the tendency to be a control freak. I told you guys, I've said it multiple times, man, I hate flying. I hate flying. I remember it was a few years back uh, that I, I, I think I said it for the first time that I hated flying. And uh, a pilot who's in the room right now, he came up to me afterwards and he said, hey, Ernest, I think I know why you hate flying. I said, oh, okay, really, please help me. Like, tell me, do I need medicine? Like, what, what do I need to, like, enjoy this experience? And he goes, you just want to be in control. I was like, how dare you? behind these Satan <laughs> I was like man because like when you look at statistically like I, I would say man I don't like to fly because man, I, like I don't want to crash and die right like that's that's a good reason to, to to be fearful when you're when you're flying but when you look at statistics the last U.S. commercial flight that ended in a death was in 2009 we've had over 200 million U.S. commercial flights since that point that not one has crashed. Not one person has passed away. So statistically, it's not because I'm getting on the plane, I'm like, I bet number 217 million is gonna be me and we're gonna die. Like statistically, it's not gonna happen. What is it? It's that I'm not sitting in the cockpit. 
To my buddy, I'm like, that's easy for you to say because you are in control, but I'm not. And that's hard for me. So it's real easy for me to be a control freak, for me to exhort my will on my kids, to exhort my plan for our family or my wife, to tell our staff what to do. It's real easy for me to, to allow my controlling nature to come out. But when it does, it harms everybody. It impacts everybody. So Jesus says, hey, there's going to be controlling people in your life. And when those people present themselves, remember who you are. Remember your calling. Your greatest calling is not about what you do, but it's about loving God with everything, loving your neighbors yourself, and sharing your faith with others. And once you really know who you are, once you truly understand that, then you can establish healthy boundaries. You can say, this isn't who God's created me to be. This is not how I'm going to allow somebody to talk to me. This is not the, the relationship that I want in my life. I'm not going to be treated this way. And you do it in love and with grace, or you do it with sternness, whatever is called for in that moment or with that person. But if you love God with everything, you love others as yourself, and you want people to know your faith, then you'll do these things in a healthy way. You'll create your boundaries in a healthy way. But then when it comes to your own controlling nature, will you do what Jesus says here? Will you deny yourself? Will you take up your cross? which means his will, his plans, his desires for you and your family and the people around you and when you follow after him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you even for guys like Peter that, man, I identify so much with. And sometimes we look at their lives and we think about, man, wow, what great people of faith and things like that, but then when we dig a little bit deeper, we see some of, the, some of the issues they also dealt with. Some of the sin that also held them captive. And so Father, I thank you for the story of Peter and just how you chose to respond to him in that moment. You didn't buckle to, to what he wanted and his will. You acknowledged it and you said, get behind me because that's not who I am. That's not what I'm called to do. So, Father, I pray for all of us that we would know our calling and that that calling first starts with coming into a relationship with you. Father, every single week we give people an opportunity to enter into that relationship or to come home because every single week we have people watching online and we have people sitting in this room that if we're going to be real honest, we'd say, man, I've been walking away from the Lord. Like, he has not been my focus. I have not been trying to love God with everything. And maybe you've been doing it on your own, and, and you're kind of feeling the results of that right now. God's saying, no, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, just come home. What does that mean? It means receiving what Jesus has done on the cross for you. His grace and his forgiveness is being offered to you right now. So with every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you'd say, man, Ernest, I, I need to come home today. Ernest, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to come home in this moment. I want to have that relationship with God, maybe that I once had a while ago or maybe that I've never had, but today I choose to start it now. If that's you, I just want you to raise a hand. I want to know who I'm praying for. Amen. Father, thank you for each one of these individuals.
God, you know them by name and you know their story and their journey. And I thank you that you brought them here today. Tell them how much you love them and draw them to your family. And Father, for all of us, especially those of us who are sons and daughters of you who have accepted what you've done for us, who have received your grace and your forgiveness, God, I pray that you would help us to love others well, that you would help us to, to live out this calling of loving you and loving others and sharing our faith in such a way that it would change the world around us. That God, when there are controlling people in our lives, Father, that, that, that anger wouldn't uh, overtake us, that, that we wouldn't want to just shut them out completely, and, uh, but God, we would choose to somehow love them in the midst of their control. For God, I, I do recognize that there are some situations, Father, we need to shut people out of. There are some people in our lives, Father, that never need to walk foot on our driveway, in our grass, on our front step. They never need to come anywhere close. But God, for so many others in our lives, we need to love them well. Father, I also pray that we would choose to not be controlling. God, you would help me to lay that down personally. You would help me to lay that down at your feet. I say, Jesus, I want to deny myself and take up your cross and follow after you. Help me to do that in my relationship with my kids, my relationship with my wife, and others you place in my life. In Jesus' name.